Awesome. My name is Doug, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors for our church. And it's December. It's Christmas time. We got our first snowfall yesterday. That was super cool. But I am still jazzed up and fired up because two Sundays ago, we got to baptize eight people. I mean, it was incredible. Our church came together. We clapped. We hooped. We hollered. We were yelling like crazy folks because eight of our children, um, neighbors, family, co-workers, friends, they went public with their faith in Jesus Christ. This is awesome. What a gift city light. Someone have a pulse and be excited this morning. This is so cool. I mean, this is eight people's lives changed by Jesus. Eight stories rewritten by Jesus. Eight people delivered from sin and Satan and death and brought into the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And that gets me fired up. So I'm going to try to sober up now and come back to December, okay? It's Christmas, and this Christmas we're looking at four amazing, wonderful gifts that Eric mentioned, um, gifts that we can receive because God became man, even a baby born among us. And those gifts are hope, which we looked at last week, peace, which we're going to look at this morning, uh, joy, which we will look at next Sunday in our ugly Christmas sweaters, and then the Sunday after that, we'll wrap it up with love. These are four gifts that can change our lives, and they all trace back. They all go back to a story from the Bible about a teenage mother who got pregnant even though she had never been with a man. And then there's this road trip to Bethlehem, and they stayed the night in a stinky stable with a nasty trough, and a baby was born. It was the story of Christmas. And when you think about it, Christmas at its roots, if you go back to the beginning, Christmas is really a birthing story. It's about a baby being born. And I've had the tremendous privilege of watching all five of my children be born. I also had the privilege of not having to birth them. That was awesome. But I did get to see them be born. And I've discovered in this process of journeying with my wife that like birthing stories are really important to moms. Birthing stories are to moms what fishing stories are to guys. Okay, it's like, oh yeah, I gave birth to this baby and it was this big. It was this big, right? So here's what happens. Moms get together. Moms, I love you. I got the utmost respect for you. Moms get together. And like the first mom's like, yeah, my contractions were pretty hard. And then the next mom's like, oh, labor and delivery. It went for over 24 hours. Then the next mom is like, man, I tell you what, I had to give birth to the baby in the car because the husband got pulled over on the way to the hospital. It was crazy. Before it's all over, there's like this super mom who trumps them all, talks about how she has to give birth to the baby going uphill through the snow both ways, 12 inches of snow on the ground. She catches the baby all by herself, doesn't even take off the cape until it's time to nurse. Super mom, right? birthing stories. They get together at baby showers and they'll tell these birthing stories to one another, sharing way too much information. First they laugh, then they cry, and then they turn to the mom who showered is and they're like, oh honey, you're going to love this. It's great, right? <laughs> Christmas time at its heart is a birthing story. A baby born, a new arrival to our world. And this morning, we're going to look at the announcement of the birth of sweet little baby Jesus. Go Talladega Nights, right? Sweet little baby Jesus was born. And so the question is, when he was born, how did people hear about him? 
And what did people hear about him? And I think this birth announcement is still important to us today because what was announced when Jesus was born is also what we need to hear today. What was celebrated about the birth of Jesus is what we can still celebrate about the life of Jesus today. If you're here and you're wondering, man, what's the big deal about some baby born 2,000 years ago? I think this birth announcement is going to answer that question for you. And if you're here and you just feel like the Christmas stories, it's kind of grown a little old, a little stale just from reading it so many times over the years. I think this story of the birth announcement is going to breathe a little bit of fresh life into that wonderful but old story. And so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph, that's Jesus's mom and dad, they've loaded up their luggage, they got everything um, packed up, and now they've hopped onto a donkey. I don't know if Mary hopped, she was pregnant at the time. One way or the other, she managed to get on a donkey. They go on this road trip to Bethlehem, that's Joseph's hometown. And then they get there, and you guys know the story. There is no room for them in the inn. So they stayed the night in a barn or a stable or a cave or something else that didn't resemble a five-star hotel. And then Mary gives birth to the baby. And after she gives birth to the baby, right after that, we get Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. I'll read it aloud for us. The words will also be on the screen. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that's the birth announcement. A bunch of night shift shepherds have an angelic visitation. Before they know it, there's thousands of angels filling the sky and singing about the birth of this savior. And their announcement highlights two things about Jesus. Glory to God and peace to God's people. They're saying the birth of Jesus is going to bring glory to God and peace to God's people. And so we're going to let those two highlights from their announcement be the outline for our sermon this morning. It's only a two-point sermon. You're welcome for lacking the third. It's a two-point sermon. There are notes if you want to follow along and fill in the blanks. The first thing is this. When the angels announce the birth of Jesus, they highlight glory in the lowly. Glory in the lowly. They sing glory to God in the highest. God is glorious. He is bright. He's radiant. He's brilliant. Glory to God in the highest. What the angels are saying is that this lowly birth of Jesus reveals to us the highest glory of God, the brightest light of God, the most radiant heat of God, the most brilliant thoughts of God are here in the birth of this baby. They're saying glory to God in the highest of heights. He's glorious. He's amazing. He's incredible. And we see it in this birth of Jesus. But when you think about the story of the birth of Jesus, it's anything but glorious. It's lowly. It's humble. Just consider the bare facts of this story. A pregnant woman 
has to load up in the middle of her pregnancy and go with her like sort of kind of fiance, definitely not husband yet, super awkward relationship, go with him to his hometown, even though she's pregnant. They didn't have a choice in healthcare. They didn't get to decide where this baby would be born. A foreign ruler, a Roman ruler, told them where to go, what to do, and when to do that. It was lowly. They were weak and insignificant pawns in the hands of this Roman ruler, lowly. Then they arrived to Joseph's hometown, and there's no family waiting up for them. The in-laws didn't have coffee brewing or the blankets set out for them. There's no place to stay in a hotel because everybody else is doing what that Roman ruler said. And so they're all booked up. Joseph can't even text someone and find a place to crash. It's lowly. It's humble. Then when the baby is born, there's no hint that anybody is there to help. It says that Mary brought forth Jesus and Mary wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths. Luke, who wrote the story, he's going to um, great lengths just to emphasize the loneliness of Mary and Joseph. It's lowly. Then the birth announcement telling everyone about him, that is lowly as well, right? The baby wasn't like dressed up to look like a butterfly and sent out on a cute postcard to all the rich relatives who can help afford diapers. Instead, the baby was in a dirty, stinky manger, and the birth announcement was sent to a bunch of shepherds who the parents didn't even know. Shepherds in that time were the lowest of professions. These were the guys who never got a high school diploma. They never got promoted to the day shift, and they were known for stealing stuff from villages as they wandered through from hillside to hillside, taking stuff that wasn't theirs. Really, everything about the birth story, everything about the Christmas story says, lowly. But the angels see it and they say, glory. This is the birth of Jesus Christ. The whole world was saying, just ignore them. But the heavens were saying, watch them. What the Roman ruler saw as inferior, God saw as superior. What the world called lowly, God called glory. And I wonder this morning, when you think about Jesus... When you consider him, just give some time to consider who Jesus is to you. Do you see glory or do you only see lowly? I think so many times the world around us only sees lowly and they miss the glory of Jesus. The world tries to write him off, send him away and keep him in a cave. Our culture thinks that a barn is the best place for Jesus. Keep him at arm's length. Don't get too crazy about him. Don't give him too much weight or too much um, influence in your life. Jesus makes a decent backseat rider, backseat passenger, but don't listen to him. Don't love him. And for goodness sake, don't let him drive. Lowly, no glory. The truth is that Jesus isn't the most hip, cool, or popular God anymore. You know, used to, if you had one of those like fish thingies on your car, like as a bumper sticker or whatever, however they stick to your car, if you had one of those, when people would drive by you or drive around you, they'd drive real safe. They'd like wave nice and friendly to you. But now if you have one of those on your car, they're going to speed right by you, honk really loud and tell you that you're number one using the wrong finger, right? Jesus has been pushed to the side. He's been marginalized and given a piece of duct tape in the hopes that maybe he'll use it on his own mouth. Most of our world, most of our culture sees Jesus as lowly, no glory. And I think it'd be tempting for us, church, 
to, to go, oh yeah, that's the world out there, right? Those terrible heathens. But let's be honest, it's in our hearts too. It's in my heart. And I know it's in my heart whenever I look at my prayer life. So many times when I pray, I'm just asking Jesus to do things for me. I'm asking him to give me a little bit more blessings, a little more comfort, some riches or some notoriety. Come on, Jesus. Can't you make my life a little better? Can't you make my life a little more respectable? Can't you send some money my way? Can't you just make things happen my way? Basically, I want Jesus to be my butler, to be my errand boy, to be my sweet little baby Jesus who bows to my bidding and bends to my will and cowers to my every whim. So often in my own heart, I only see Jesus as lowly and I miss his glory. But God sees, God sees the lowly Jesus and he shouts, glory, Glory to God in the highest. The angels sang it at his birth. The church has proclaimed it for thousands of years since then, and we all will be rehearsing it throughout eternity. Glory to Jesus, the lowly baby born to die. Glory to Jesus, the lamb for sinners slain. And sometimes, church, honestly, my heart needs reworked, rewired so that I can see the glory of Jesus even in his lowliness. I can see glory in the lowly glory from the lowly and glory for the lowly. Amen, church? And here's the good news. Let's flip that around. Just as much as the lowly birth of Jesus lowers us, it just humbles us. This is our God. (laughs) This is our Savior, and he was born like this. It lowers us. It also inspires us. It gives us hope. Friend, is your life lowly? Are you working the night shift and you're unable to sleep because it's like two days on and then three days off? Are you the shepherd who never got that college degree, the woman who is gossiped about, the one who shows up to the hometown and nobody wants to hang out with you? You can't pay the bills, can't buy health insurance, can't pay down the debts, can't catch a break or climb the ladder or find some love. If so, just lean in and listen up a little bit because here's what the birth of Jesus Christ tells us. When you invite Jesus into that lowly, you can taste the glory of God while you're still there. While you're still in that lowly place, you can know and see the glory of God. This birth announcement tells us that the best place for you to see, know, experience, and feel the glory of God is in the lowly places of life while you are still there. So don't get in a rush to be that rich, successful, perfect person that you've always wanted to be in your life. Know Jesus while you are still there. Experience the glory of God while you are still lowly. Look to him, trust in him, put your faith in Jesus while you are still there. And even God will say glory in the highest. Amen, church? The first thing that the angels bring to our attention about the birth of Jesus is glory in the lowly. The second thing is this, peace in the chaos. Peace in the chaos. So they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So at the lowly birth of Jesus, there's praise, honor, glory going on in the heavens. At the same time, simultaneously on earth, they're saying, there's peace. There's peace, which sounds fantastic. And of all the words that could be used to describe the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels chose peace. Now, kiddos. 
I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine that your mom has another baby, okay? Or maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you are old enough to remember when a baby brother or a baby sister were born. Either way, what is life like in your house when that new baby is born? Is it peaceful? (laughs) Chances are it's not. Chances are it's like, crazy, chaotic diapers are flying everywhere. Bring me some wet wipes. This is a blowout. Where's this pacifier? Does he have clothes to wear? Do I have clothes to wear? What's going on here, right? Usually when a newborn baby arrives to a family, it's chaos everywhere. Chaos to the max. And the same was true for the birth of Jesus. But when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, they said, peace on earth. Peace on earth. They were telling us that Jesus brings peace peace right into the middle of our chaos. This birth of Jesus was crazy chaos, but it was also beautiful peace. So just think about the story again, okay? Track with me, guys. We have Mary and Joseph on an 80-mile road trip. She's pregnant on a donkey. There ain't no peace there, okay? They get to Bethlehem. There's nowhere to stay. So they're in a barn with animals that are barking and sneezing and pooping. There ain't no peace there. There were financial worries. There were social worries. There were physical safety worries. It was chaos to the max. But the birth of Jesus meant peace. How in the world is that possible? How could someone like Mary, so far from her family, so separated from everybody else in society, how could she ever know peace when this baby's born, the animals are loud, and things are spinning out of control? I think most moms, every mom in this room probably knows how she experienced peace in that moment. Moms, when you had a baby, you're holding a newborn, life is crazy, it's wild, we know. When did you know peace the most? When did you experience peace? When did you feel peace? Chances are is that you knew peace when you got to hold your baby in your arms and look in her eyes. Look in his eyes. When you lost yourself in the face of your baby, the world could be spinning out of control, but your heart knows peace just by seeing your baby. I said earlier that my wife and I have five children. God bless her. She's amazing. And I love all of our children. One of the best pleasures in life is getting to be a dad. Um, one of the things that I like most about our newest child, he's four months old, he falls asleep on me more than any of the others did. And so usually for him to fall asleep on me, I literally have to go like up and down the stairs over and over again, something about the bouncing. And so it's kind of how I keep my incredible physique. Um, Really, everybody laughs at that. No, I'm kidding. I understand it's not incredible, but I'm trying to burn the calories, put my baby boy to sleep. But sometimes Josiah will go to sleep on me while I'm in the glider in the living room. And in that moment, I'm rocking back and forth with him and holding him. He's snuggling up to me. While we're doing that, all the other kids in the house, they're being kids. They're playing spies, running around, shouting to each other across the house. Things are flying that I don't even know what they are. Dinner's being cooked. The puppies are barking really loud behind me. I mean, it's kind of crazy and chaotic, but in the midst of that chaos, what am I experiencing? Peace. 
chaos at the max, but my heart is at peace. I told Whitney I would pay money for those moments, that experience of peace. I will go up and down those stairs till my legs burn and turn into jello and my knees ache so bad just for those moments of peace. How do I have peace? Because I am near to him. I am with him and he is with me. Some of you this morning, you're in a season of life that is chaos to the max. You hear about Mary and Joseph facing financial struggles and you're like, yep, that would be me. The holidays just make the stress and the worry and the pressures even worse. For some people, the holidays are great because you get to be with family and be reminded how much they love you. For others, the holidays are painful because just like Joseph going back to his hometown and his, in-law, his family were nowhere to be found, sometimes the holidays mean it reminds you that your family is nowhere to be found or they don't want you around or you may have even lost them. For some of us, the fi- financial, social, and physical pressures of the holiday season are just massive. It's like everything on the inside is going crazy. Nothing is settled. You're like, what is going on? Maybe I'm the only one, but maybe you are there with me. So how, how do we experience peace? How do we know peace in the midst of that? We do what Mary did. We look at the face of Jesus. We lock our eyes into his eyes. We draw near to him knowing that he will draw near to us. And we let our hearts rest in him. Just like me in the glider with Josiah. Just like Mary in the barn with Jesus. The world may be spinning out of control. Who knows what is flying around, whether the day will go well or not, whether dinner will be ready on time or not. Even in the midst of all that, your heart can know peace because you know Jesus. Your heart can have peace because you have him. Jesus Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth in your heart, peace. Amen, church? He can give us peace even in the chaos. Now, to close this morning, I feel like I need to just add a little more weight to this, um, this thing I said earlier, look to Jesus. When you guys heard me say that, let's be like Mary and look to Jesus and fix our gaze on him, you may have thought, oh, that's a good idea, good suggestion, preacher man. That sounds good. You know, if I do that this Christmas, my holidays will be a little better. What a positive influence for my life. And that's true. But to be faithful to this text, to be faithful to what the angels originally announced, I have to be honest and say it is more than a suggestion. It is a command. It's a requirement. It's a necessity. And it's not my command. I mean, goodness sakes, my commands have like no bearings, no weight. This is God's command, God's requirement. It is absolutely necessary, and there is no possible way for your heart to experience true peace except, let me show it to you. It's absolutely necessary to look to Jesus. Go to Luke 2, verse 14. Let's read it again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Now, pause right there, because we're about to get a condition 
We're about to say this peace, it's not like a blanket peace. It comes with a condition. This isn't Woodstock or Zootopia where everybody gets along because the music is so great. There is a condition that goes with this peace. Let's see what it is. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace where? Among those with whom he is pleased. So the peace of God, it is freely given. I mean, it overflows. It's abundant. There's plenty to be had. Eternal peace for those, only for those with whom he is pleased. So we've got to ask the question, who or what pleases God? How do I make God happy? It is of the utmost importance because if I can't please God, if I can't figure out how to make God happy, then I can't know peace. I can't have true peace, only the fake stuff that lasts for a few weeks in December. How do I make God happy? How do I please him? Chances are you've already asked that question in your life. How do I get in God's good graces? How do I get on God's side? How do I get God off my back? Or genuinely, how do I please you God. And we've come up with different answers to that question over the course of our lives. Maybe getting my act together will make God happy. Maybe being a better person, a better employee, or a better mom or dad or roommate. Kids, maybe you think, man, if I can just obey mom and dad better, that will make God happy. Others, you might think, I need to go to church every Sunday, or I need to pray two or three times a day, or man, I got to read my Bible. I keep forgetting to read my Bible. If I could just read my Bible every day, then maybe God would be happy with me. But here's the deal, church. We could do all of those things, and when you search the scriptures, it's going to say none of those are enough to make God happy. You can do all of it, and he's still not pleased. So how in the world do we make God happy? Hebrews 11.6 gives us the key. Hebrews 11.6 unlocks it for us. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So here's what the Bible is saying. If you want to make God happy, then put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to please God, then trust his son. Put your hopes, your faith, your longings into his son, Jesus Christ, and trust him to take care of all of those things. Church, this is such good news, right? You don't have to be rich or religious or right or left. You don't have to have power or prestige or some sort of position. You don't have to be poor or pitiful. All you need to make God happy is faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Faith that Jesus Christ can forgive your sins. Faith that Jesus Christ can make you new, make you whole, give you peace, and bring himself into your life. All you need to make God happy is faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. You can give more to our church if you want to, but that's like, make, well, it's not what makes God happy. You guys get what I'm saying? You can show up every Sunday. That's not what makes God happy. What makes God happy is when you trust Jesus Christ, that trust and that faith, it can empower all the rest of that. And God is thrilled. He is happy. God is pleased with faith or to borrow from the Christmas story. When Mary holds her baby Jesus and she looks in his eyes and she sinks into who he is and she knows he is her savior. He is her Lord. He is her God. That is faith and that makes God pleased. So this morning, I wanna invite you to see the glory of God, see the brilliance and the brightness of God in the lowly birth of Jesus. 
I invite you to taste the peace of God in your chaos. Taste the rest of God in the midst of your rush as the birth announcement of Jesus Christ tells us. And I just want to echo this birth announcement to us, church. City Light, listen, here's the deal. God is most glorified in us. Glory to God in the highest. When? Not when we're trying our best or trying our hardest or doing everything possible. God is most glorified in us when our faith is in his son, Jesus Christ. And we trust him to give us everything that we need. Trust him to be everything that we need. And church, listen, the peace of God is strongest. The peace of God is most clearly and fully experienced when your faith is in Jesus Christ. Some of you, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time this morning and say, I turn from my sins. I turn from who I am and I fully embrace, trust. I put all of my hopes and bank on the baby born to die. That's turning to Jesus Christ in faith. Some of you, you're already a Christian and you just get to keep living by faith. In the Christian life, there's always new stuff that pops up. And whenever it pops up, we can lean into our own strength, lean into our own selves, or we can lean into Jesus Christ and say, oh God, give me faith to trust you more than I trust this pay raise. Give me faith to trust you more than I trust what this person can do for me, what that job can do for me. Give me faith to trust you more than I look to my circumstances. Give me eyes that are fixed on Jesus instead of the chaos in my life. Amen, church? Amen. Amen.